Welcome to Blockchain Inside. The podcast is co-produced by Ideas, the Purdue Blockchain Lab, and CastBox. Our vision is to connect everyone in the blockchain industry and explore the most up-to-date news. We hope this podcast will be educational, easy to understand, and inspirational for all our listeners. I'm Coach Colbertson. With me is Kimberly Colbertson. And today we have Michael Noel back with us. Michael, why don't you take a minute, reintroduce yourself to our audience, and tell us a little bit more about your story with blockchain. Hey, Coach and Kimberly, thanks for having me back. I guess I didn't give you enough abuse last time, so uh, <laughs> uh, you're, you're actually, I'm, I'm not sure that that speaks well of your intelligence level. We'll, we'll go with that. Oh. Yeah, um. <laughs> the last episode, Michael, I think our, our listeners who haven't heard it, they really should go back and listen to it because it was chock full of actionable material and I, it was really an amazing episode so thanks for coming well, back. Yeah, you know yeah well i appreciate it appreciate it you know i got involved in blockchain pretty early a friend of mine was running he, he came to me and said hey look there's this thing called mining and i said look my hands they're not meant for mining and shovels and picks and that kind of stuff i don't think i'm interested <laughs> in mining he said no 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 it's it's tech it's, it's really interesting and here's what it is and we started a little mining operation it's still going i think we're four or five giga hashes per second. We do Ethereum and a couple of the altcoins. And in that process, I learned about cryptocurrency. 2014, uh, there's a guy, his name is Vitalik Buterin, a video on YouTube about Ethereum and, and some of the things that they were doing there. I watched that video and it changed my life completely because I realized that this changes fundamentally businesses, the way businesses operate. It changes fundamentally the way we transfer trust and workflows. It changes everything. We started working with smart contracts and spinning up smart contracts. Uh, we kind of lucked out and had a, a company that asked us to do some work on some smart contracts early in the process and actually paid us money for it. So that was kind money. of interesting. Um, <laughs> and we were, so we were kind of doing this thing and, and we had a couple of clients that were just basically companies and friends that we already knew that we were working for. And, and one day my partner says to me, this is like being like a blockchain consultant. And I went, hang on just a second here. And I opened up GoDaddy and I typed in blockchainconsultants.io and it was available. I bought it for 49 bucks. So <laughs> here we are, you know, uh, these years later and we're, uh, we're helping people, uh, what we call rationalized uh, workloads using distributed ledger uh, technology. And uh, we're doing all kinds of stuff in blockchain. I have uh, Blockchain Weekly. That's at blockchainweekly.io, which is a, a weekly uh, thing where I bring people that are doing interesting things in blockchains and talk to them for an hour and, People watch me on my YouTube channel and, you know, I'm on, I, you know, Crypto, BlockCon, I was a speaker. I mean, I've been in San Francisco like three times this year, Los Angeles, I've been once, uh, Las Vegas, I've been three times and once in Chicago and I'm not even done for the week or for the year. So um, <laughs> it's crazy. It's really, really crazy stuff. But blockchain's really changing the world. And yeah, absolutely. We're glad to have you today. Let's jump right in. There are currently developing and unstable countries that are already transacting in cryptocurrency. And so we know that we need to remove the volatility for crypto. What needs to be in place for buyers and sellers to transact in crypto? Great question. And I'm just going to say it. I'm going to step out on their limb. I'm probably going to insult some people. But, uh, yes, uh, you know, the, the U.S. <laughs> has become a third world nation when it comes to a lot of these kinds of things in technology. Uh, you know, at one time we were the leaders and uh, we're just not anymore. These third world countries didn't have the infrastructure that needed to be peeled back. They didn't have, you know, all the banking regulations and a lot of the people with their hands out uh, mm -hmm. and a lot of people trying to control 
uh, in a lot of centralized organizations. If, if there's not the centralized organizations, there's not the people like the Winklevi and, and the people in New York who are trying to control this thing, then it runs a lot quicker, it runs a lot smoother, and it runs a lot much more quickly. If we look at, uh, you know, even, even a country like Dubai, um, and, and Dubai is not really a developing company, but it's a good example. Dubai has the DLD, which is the Dubai Land Department. The Dubai Land Department has said, look, we're going to take all of the real estate in Dubai and put it on the real estate on the blockchain. And you're going to be able to check the status of a visa on the blockchain. You're going to be able to check the, uh, the status of your bills and pay your electric. You're going to be able to transfer title of the property on the blockchain. You're going to be huh. able to do all these kinds of things. You're going to have like, fractional uh, ownership of a piece of property on the blockchain. And we're going to do this, and it's called the DLD. And you think, well, that's that's a pretty big project. It's going to take like five years, uh, 10 years maybe. And, uh, you know, by 2020, they'll be done with it. That's, you know, a little over a year from now, they'll be done. It'll be in. In, in America, we're still kind of messing around with how we're going to do this and how we're going to regulate it. Uh, while the rest of the world is taking off. And I think one, th- one of the things we need, you know, we need fungibility. Uh, so we need exchanges in, that we can trust. Uh, we need applications in there that are beginning to work and actually do the things that we're promising are going to happen. And I think that's right around the corner. But, you know, first and foremost in America, there's a thing, you know, my name's Michael Noel. There's a thing called Noel's Law. And Noel's Law is the first thing a centralized organization will do when confronted with a decentralized mechanism is try and centralize it. I think that's a lot of what's happening in America. And I'm a patriot. I mean, I'm, I am a patriot. Don't get me wrong. But I think that just some of the decisions we've made as far as, you know, we're on the wrong side of this, I believe, in, in, in many, many, many different ways. If it's a decentralized mechanism, how can you control it? And I make people angry when I say this, but it's a decentralized mechanism. It doesn't need regulation in order to function. And if you regulate it, there's going to be an unregulated version of that smart contract that's going to be actually better. Well, let's shift gears a little bit. Well, actually, I get, actually, it doesn't really shift gears at all because we're kind of kind of leading into that. Let's talk about bank blockchains versus non-bank blockchains, right? So capital oh markets. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. You're going to get me in trouble here, right? Um, well, I'm trying. You're gonna go, so, lock my, let, me, let me make sure my door is locked and my kids okay. have, have it on. <laughs> make sure the men in black aren't showing up. Um, yeah, there you go. So, you know, capital markets, they're building blockchains as a service to bring more clients on, or they want to get a piece of the action, obviously. And so payment processors are laying out products for transactions to occur. How will both improve transparency and tractability? Well, it is anonymous. Right. You know, transactions, uh, transactions on the blockchain are anonymous, but they're public. How does that work, right? They're public. They're, they're, there's a number on there, and it doesn't say, hey, look, um, this is, this is me and my name is Michael Noel and this is my transaction. There's a, there's a hash on there. It's 256 uh, digits and a hash and it tells the software where it is and what it does. And, you know, there's, it's out there in public and everyone can see it. And there's a wallet number and that wallet number could be traced to someone else. It could have been a wallet that we've moved or someone else owns or things of this nature. So yeah, if you, if you were to lens the blockchain, the Bitcoin distributed ledger right now today, uh, or the Ethereum uh, blockchain ledger, you know, just go to etherscan.io 
And you can scan the entire Ethereum distributed ledger and you can see every transaction that's ever happened on the Ethereum ledger since the Genesis block. Genesis block is the first block. As far as traceability, it's extremely tra traceable. Uh, but how do we how do we associate this wallet number with this person? That's that's part of the issue. So uh, and transparency and traceability, it's 100% autonomous, but yet 100% uh, public, and that's kind of the way it accomplishes that. Kind of different than than most of the kinds of things that we that we do. The big thing, as far as banks are concerned, banks are using this because it's easy for them to use. It's it's less expensive for them to make these types of transactions, and they've been doing it for years and years and years on a blockchain. When we look at, there's a thing called the SWIFT network, and that's what all the banks out there run on. That's what they, they're, where their transactions are. It's called the SWIFT network, and it costs them money to work on the SWIFT network. And if they set up a private bank blockchain that's just bank to bank uh, and begin to track their transactions between one another on this blockchain, it doesn't cost them anything, and they only really need to do one transaction, just a clearing transaction at the end of the day from bank to bank transactions. So that makes it extremely quick um, and, and extremely less expensive. And that's part of the things about smart contracts. If we're looking at, at workflows, and smart contracts, by the way, are part of the Ethereum network. Uh, uh, you can spin up an ERC-20 token and they're very easy to do and get your own blockchain and on this blockchain, we can build smart contracts that execute things, and they're basically if this, then that arguments for money. Uh, and they convey trust, they convey value, they do a lot of the things that we do in our current workflow, except they do them a thousand times quicker and a hundred times less expensive. Yeah, I'm going to repeat that. It, they do things a thousand times quicker and a hundred times less expensive. So if you can imagine a company that has a workflow and they begin to implement this smart contract stuff, uh, and banks have already started to do this, by the way. Uh, what we what we find is is that those workflows that are implemented with smart contracts are a thousand times quicker, hundred times less expensive, and many 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 times uh, it's much much more than that, and that gives the uh, the opportunity that the person that's using these smart contracts a big differential advantage within the marketplace. So this is what we're talking about and how things are going to change. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. Let's shift gears a little bit and talk about contingencies for failures. With lots of innovation and blockchain projects launching every month and racing to get to the top, how much focus is there for security and accountability for closed ICOs? <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's not a yeah, lot of questions right. at all, right? We're, we're off to yeah. a good start with this yeah. question. <laughs> yeah, okay. So I've had the federal government out after me, and now I'm going to get all my clients out after me. Okay. You're, you're, I'll, I'll <laughs> be completely alienated if I did. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be sitting on, a, on an island all alone by myself, right? Um, but it'll be a so, nice island because uh, you're on the blockchain. <laughs> <laughs> got, he's got that mining going on already. He's good. He's good. Yeah, yeah, there you go. As long as I got my mining facility there, I'll be fine. So, uh, I, I mean, this thing is going like crazy. Um, you know, I've never seen anything. And I've been around for, you know, one or two years. I've seen a few things. And, and I've never seen anything that even remotely resembles this, not even the dot-com. I mean, this is just disruption on steroids. It's changing everything. It's going to change every industry that there is. Fundamentally, uh, we're going to have these guys come in and do smart contracts in every industry that there is. There's going to be a company that starts doing it. Uh, they're going to be the number 30 company in a, in a stack of companies that do things, uh, similar things. And all of a sudden, they're going to do things a thousand times quicker, a hundred times less expensive. They're going to go to the top of the stack. 
and other people are going to realize what they're doing. They're going to want this. It's going to be crazy. It's going to be, you know, what it would Ben Murray's, you know, dog soothing with gas and all kinds of, all kinds of things coming. Mass hysteria, right? Right. It's going to be crazy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's going to be crazy. And a lot of people realize that this is coming and they're anxious for this and they're, they're trying to spin up stuff and they're trying to put, put things in place. They're trying to do software and they're, and they want to be the first in place. They want to be the first in line. They want to be the first to do it. But a lot of times they're, they're trading quickness for security or they're uh, trading quickness for accuracy or, or they're trading you know, quickness for stuff that will actually get this. Here's a novel idea. Works and functions correctly. What? Um, Come on. <laughs> well, That's just crazy talk. You know, I don't want to get too geeky, but there's a thing called a remote call pro protocol or a remote call procedure RPC. Uh, and basically, it's kind of like an open kind of ear where the software kind of listens on a port. And, you know, when someone says, hey, can you do this on this port? It kind of does it, right? And it's a good thing for a software guy if he's got a project and not to leave that port open. Does that make sense? Yeah, gotcha. Uh, one of the big ones that just had recently got down was an exchange. It was a, a big exchange. Had been going for quite some time. They lost more than half of their deposits that went out of the exchange and it happened it happened very rapidly and it happened because they left rpc open oh really was, <laughs> rpc was that was the reason why they because they left the port open yeah they left that port open and some and some hacker figured it out and said okay uh, you know spun up a little program to you know transfer anything that he could find in there into other accounts and then take anything that was in those other accounts and move it to other accounts and it's he's gone. Wow! And so's that so's that exchange. It, it's crazy, and any young programmer out there knows better than to leave that open or, or to try and cap that. Yeah, that's, that's kind of script kitty stuff there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is really bad stuff. But I think that we have a lot of innovation. I'm not saying that to change what we're doing. But I'm saying, let's look at what we're doing and let's look at, at making, closing some of the stuff and let's look at the ICOs and let's start looking critically at what they're doing and what they're, and, and what they're all about. We've got all kinds of ICOs that are out there trying to do the same thing simultaneously. Um, and we got uh, ICOs out there that are white papers that they've copied over for one other person. And it, it's really crazy stuff out there. You know, what, what, what I can say is there's a lot of ICOs out there and it seems to me one of the first precursors I would do is I would look at the team that's involved in that ICO as opposed to what it's doing. Who are the team? Are, are they real people? Can you see them on LinkedIn? Can you connect with them on LinkedIn? Do your due diligence and figure out that whether or not they have a team that's capable and a team that's uh, been there, done that, has the t-shirt kind of thing. You know, it's an old saying, if, if you're on a team and the team leader has not been around the horn, then you have to have a conversation with yourself about whether or not you want to go around the horn with that team leader because he's going around the horn. And it's the same with an investment. I mean, if, if, if there's a jockey that's involved uh, and on that horse and they, you know, it's a great horse and that jockey has, has won many, 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 many races before, then it's kind of different than the same horse with a jockey that's never won. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So let's shift gears into the startup realm. 
how do we take a concept from the from just an idea to all the way to successfully launch a blockchain business or even like an ICO? What are the steps along the way to make that kind of thing happen? Well, I, I think the first thing that you should do is take everything that you that you know and throw it out the window because it's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a heck of a start. <laughs> yeah, that's a heck of a start. And I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek, but not really. We've come to this place where we're used to taking, uh, you know, this great idea, I'm going to build blue widgets instead of orange widgets, and go out and we and and we raise money because we're going to build blue widgets, and this blue widget's going to have this kind of thing on it, and this kind of thing on it, and this is going to be a blue widget, and it'll have a blue widget handle on it, and we'll do this, and we'll do that, and we we'll do the other thing, and it's going to have a blue widget handle that spins like this, and we raise money, and we have millions and millions of dollars, and we come out and we build this thing that does it this way, 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 and it's wonderful, and it's just exactly what we wanted. We take it to market, and the first uh, person who buys it says, hey, uh, could it spin like this? And it sounds simple, but it's really happening a lot out there. We're, we're developing products, we're developing stuff, uh, and we're sending it out to market based on what we thought we wanted. And things are changing so quickly now that we're not, we're not able to plan, we're not able to develop and integrate new, new technology, things of this nature. Much wiser thing to do is to take that kind of a system and, and throw it out. And, and there's, a, there's a book out there I would suggest everyone read. Um, and it's called the Lean Startup. And the Lean Startup uses a, 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 an idea of an MVP or minimum viable product. Um, and I would use, I, I would, if, if I was doing an ICO, if I was doing a company, if I was doing, in fact, I, I probably handed out a hundred copies of the Lean Startup. Ask anyone who's, who's met with me <laughs> and had coffee with me. I mean, I, I usually hand them a book, and there's one of three books. It's uh, um, uh, Who Moved My Cheese, the Lean Startup, and there's. Uh, uh, another marketing uh, book that I usually hand out if that's what they want. But uh, uh, for, Eric Reese is, is a great, great guy. He's got the Lean Startup, and it gives uh, the concept of an MVP, which is a minimum viable product. What the minimum viable product is, uh, or the MVP, and, and that's where you should start is with an MVP, is what is the minimal version of that product that people can use and use rudimentary. And, and if it's going to be like, a, if you're doing an automatic uh, blue widget, then and maybe it's a blue widget that's automatic in some things, but not automatic in others. I mean, you kind of get the idea there. Uh, the, what is the minimum version that I can bring to market? And then and, and put that to market and have some people use it. And what you're going to find is they're going to get back to you. And, and, and if you tell them, look, this is kind of my beta and I'd like you to, to try this, I'd like you to feed me, give me feedback. I want you to be the, you know, and become involved in the development product. And if you'll if you'll do that in, in the right way, in the right manner, and, and try to handle these people correctly, they they are clients for life because they help develop this and they have skin in the game and they'll go out and they'll find their friends to sell your stuff to. So uh, the MVP is a much better way of doing things. It's not going to get you a whole bunch of money up front, but uh, it's going to get you a whole bunch of money in the back end of things. So you develop an MVP. You kind of develop what the MVP is. You put together your white paper based on the MVP. And then go out and get yourself some angel funding or, or, or something so you can get uh, your legal done. Because you, you need to have uh, legal heads in the room. There's so many companies out there, ICOs, that didn't get the legal in the room. And now the SEC is going back and banging on their door. And they're 
they're they're talking about this thing called clawback, and if you've already spent the money, that doesn't matter. matter. They want their money. They want you to give the money back to money that you've already spent back to the uh, back to the investors, and sometimes that's tens and millions of, of dollars. I mean, it's it's a big deal. So get someone illegal in there, uh, and then do something actionable, right? Well, get something going. Get something. Get a, a a client to come on board with you or put together a, a board and, you know, do something actionable, make, make something so it's solid, so it has a feel to it. And then, uh, you know, based on what you have with your advisory board and your legal, decide on a private sale, crowdfunding, go public, ICO, anything of that nature. And then all, and then only then put together your package, right? Once you've got all that done, then you're going to go out, you're going to get a mutual non-disclosure agreement, you're going to get an executive summary, you're going to get your PPM or legal document or whatever it is that your legal uh, department has said you, you in a pitch deck. Then you take that and you take that to market and you have a, a good story. Oh, uh, that my doorbell just rang. So I wonder if that's the uh, the men in black that are coming from me. I don't know. But um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but at that point, you, you know, you you have something, you have a story. You're already well on the development. You, you, you've used some angel funding to do your MVP. You've got a white paper. You've done the MVP. You change the white paper because that'll happen, right? Um, then you've got your legal, and that's going to change your white paper because the legal is going to put a different <laughs> spin on something, right? You've get, you've done something actionable. You brought on a, a board member, or you you brought on a client, and they've said something. That's going to change your white paper, right? So you you've got all the all the changes in your story, and it's much more concrete. And then you're going out for funding and you're all going out to get it going and you're going out with a story that everyone understands and you're not telling people two stories because if you're going out to to get investment money, you have to have the right story. You have to, it has to be right the first time. Otherwise it gets confused, especially in investments, a confused mind says no. Does that make sense? Yep, definitely. Michael, with the time that we have left, I would love to talk with you a little bit about infrastructural blockchains. Can you talk a little bit about EOS? And as big as EOS is, are there signs oh, no. that it'll implode? Are we going to go there? I we're mean, going there. come on. I mean, we're go going there. there. So EOS is the, can I say the biggest pile of crap? Can I say that on these wow. things? Okay. We, it, <laughs> yes, you can. can it, uh, okay. All right. So EOS is the biggest pile of crap that has ever graced the, um, the ICO scene. I mean, we had this thing called Telegram. I mean, and Telegram was huge. I mean, we had all these people on Telegram and it was a communications platform and we could communicate about ICOs and we could do this, we could do that. And, and, and thousands upon hundreds of thousands of, of people were talking constantly about investments on, on Telegram and Telegram said, Hey, I'm going to go public. And everyone went, Oh, sh- damn it. That's, that's brilliant. All these people that are on here talking about investments and their captive audience and they're on, t- they're going to want to invest in this. This is brilliant. As it turned out, it was awesome. They raised $1.7 billion. And we were like, $1.7 billion. Oh, man. Oh, this is everything that got real. And then EOS came out and said, EOS said, look, we're going to change the consensus mechanism. The consensus mechanism is the way we keep everyone honest. So you're going to change the way we're, yes, instead of having hundreds of thousands of people that are deciding on consensus and deciding on how the block. So we're going to, we're going to have everyone vote on a panel of 21 people and they're going to decide what is right and what is wrong. And I said, are you crazy? (laughs) (laughs) 
you know, I can't think of anything for transferring trust, and I have to I have to trust these twenty one people. And wow, this is really stupid. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I mean, I did. I thought it was stupid. I, I told people, yes, it's never going to work. And then, you know, all of a sudden, you know, they had a $4 billion I, I, I ICO and they had $9 billion in the bank. $9 billion. Oh. It was absolutely incredible. The, you know, Telegram had just gone off at 1.7 and we thought that was the, the tip of the iceberg. They went off at four and had nine. This is incredible money. And they couldn't. And, and basically the whole thing of EOS was, yeah, we're going to build uh, an environment that will compete with Ethereum. And how are you going to do this? Well, we haven't decided yet. And who's going to do this? Well, you know, we're going to just we're 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 going to vote on a bunch of people that are going to you know do the consensus. And you know, it, it took them weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks even to 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 move one point as forward as to how they should do it. And they put a, up a vote to it. And it, I think it was 15% of the people that had to be on the vote. And they only had seven people that would even come and vote. It's the worst possible scenario. Uh, people just have way too much. I mean, it's crazy. If we're talking about infrastructure blockchains, here's what I can tell you. There's this thing called Ethereum, and everyone seems to compare themselves to Ethereum. And everyone seems to say, look, we're going to be better than Ethereum uh, because Ethereum has this, and Ethereum has this, and Ethereum has this, and they fixed it. And, you know, every time that I sit down and have a conversation with someone that's, that's talking about that so far, and, I'm, and, and, and trust me, so far, you know, I, I'm, I'm waiting for the guy that, that really is prepared for the conversations when you say, look, there's things coming down the road and they're called proof of stake, they're called plasma, they're called Casper, and everything is going to be changing. And if you have an, an environment, infrastructure or environmental blockchain that, that takes place and, and looks at that and is better than that, then show it to me, but so far they haven't. Make sense? Yeah, yeah. So, Michael, this has been really fun as well as informative so we got both sides of the equation on this one we're about to bring this podcast on in for landing uh tell us how our listeners can connect with you and any resources for our blockchain enthusiasts well uh, uh my name is michael noel it can be reached at michael at blockchainconsultants.io uh i do have a youtube channel go to youtube type in blockchain weekly and you'll be able to see a bunch of videos on me i get probably four to ten thousand views a week um uh, see lots of videos about how i do it blockchain um, weekly.io is the is the one there and, and i mean michael at blockchainconsultants.io if you go to blockchainconsultants.io there's a nice form on there if you fill the form out i'll answer you make sense absolutely awesome michael thanks so much for hanging out with us today on blockchain inside oh, oh thank you that's been a, it's, it's been wonderful and to our listeners, thanks for following up with us today, Blockchain Inside. The podcast is co-produced by Ideas, the Purdue Blockchain Lab, and CastBox. Please subscribe to our show on castbox.fm slash blockchain lab and leave a comment there if you have any questions. We're Kimberly and Coach. Thanks for hanging out with us, and we'll see you next time. And we're out.